Hi, welcome to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. I'm Peter Bulmer, owner of Cars Magazine and Jobber News. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring issues facing today's Canadian aftermarket professionals, sponsored by SiriusXM Canada. SiriusXM is making it possible to offer your customers three months of free satellite radio. Go to SiriusXM.ca slash four shops for details. So we ended the last time, Bruce, chatting about the, the need for power in numbers. Shops banding together, I mean, the fiercely independent mind frame doesn't always translate to a you know successful business. And, and there is a need for some sort of coming together. You know what, Peter, there absolutely is. I think there's kind of an old school thought that I think some shop owners used to look at the guy across the road as their competition. And, you know, maybe there was that little bit of strain because they're sharing the odd customer and that gets stressful at times. But the reality of it is the guy across the road that's doing the same as you is your friend. He isn't your enemy. The other the other independent repair facilities collectively as a group, we need each other. We need each other for lots of reasons. The number one reason is because slowly as we dwindle, the dealer takes a huge market share from us. Eventually, it will put a lot of us in financial trouble. The guy across the road is your friend. And I think as a group, we keep together. We got, we've got a lot of clout and we'll get things done. But if we keep trying to do everything on our own, don't like the looks of it. That's for sure. Well, the advantage that dealers have too is they have this big juggernaut behind them in the OE. So there's a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of resources being pooled already. And when you're the independent guy trying to compete against that, it doesn't take an advanced degree in math to figure out how that's going to end. It can be considered like a Davy and Goliath scenario. One thing that's interesting is no matter how hard the dealers work, and they've got a revenue stream that's far greater than ours, and to your point, they're dealing with the OEs who can obviously feed them the information and the things they need to stay on top of the new technology, what have you. But it's one thing that I've noticed, and I've had to deal with dealers. I buy, I buy new vehicles. Why wouldn't I? I mean, uh, I want to know how to service them. i got to get a new one to figure out all the stuff that's on it. Sometimes the dash is confusing enough, let alone uh, what's under the hood. But we've got something that they can't offer, and we've got what I'll best describe as personal relationships with people that is very hard to extend to uh, someone at a dealer environment. They do they, they do a good job at times. But my point is, you come in, I say, hey, Peter, how you doing? Uh, how's the baby? Blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Cut it first. We, we know things about you. We're more community-based, I guess. We build our whole business on relationships. The small independent shops, we get to know the whole family. I mean, I'm fixing the grandfather's car and the grandson's first car. We, I mean, that's how we built our business and that's how we're going to continue. Our biggest challenge will be to compete with the dealer with regards to the knowledge we need, the equipment we need, and of course, getting the information so that we can actually repair the car. And I mean, that, that's that's been an ongoing problem for a long time and we get around it. We do get around it right now, but we'd like to see something put in place that puts us on a fair playing field with the dealer from the that technology perspective. Now, Bruce, I wanted to sort of pivot a little bit. Now, we, we've talked a little bit in our first episode about EVs. I know you recently added an EV shuttle to your shop. Now, is that something that you offered before COVID in terms of the shuttle service? What, was it electronic before? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Kind of funny. It does parlay nicely because we're talking about dealers. Well, we've offered a shuttle service for about 15 years. And I don't mind telling you the truth of the matter is we don't like people waiting around for their car. It's just that it creates problems at times. We like to shuttle people down to the Tim Hortons or take them home wherever they want. This actually, our little EV we have now is our fourth shuttle. I think we've had them for at least 15 years. What really happened, Peter, is 
I wanted to learn a lot more about EVs. We had a situation at the shop where someone brought an EV in and the guy said, oh, I haven't had that. He bought it used, a Nissan Leaf. And he said, I haven't had this car in for a year. It doesn't need an oil change. Well, we lifted the hood and the 12 volt battery that it has to run all the interior components was corroded right over. It needed the tires rotated. It needed a pair of wiper blades. It needed a cabin air filter. This EV needed service. That really got us thinking about this whole what's happening and what's going on. And we said, you know what? I said, I think we need to upgrade our our shuttle and I think we should go EV. I think we, for lots of reasons, number one reason is I want our guys to learn about them and how better to learn than get an EV in the shop and let the guys look at it. But here's what's happening. We, we're getting such a positive feedback from this little shabby bolt that I bought. We have uh, introduced a lot of our clients to an uh, electric vehicle that most of them never even had a chance to ride in one. And so the feedback we're getting is excellent. But the other thing that we're doing is we're, we're, we're creating the whole concept that we can service your EV. These cars don't have oil, but they still have other things that need service. And we wanted to get that point across. So we said, what better way to do it? and get an electric car that will run you home in. Yeah, it's funny you bring, uh, there's a few points on that I wanted to touch on because they're kind of interesting and things I personally relate to. So I think there's a lot of, I guess, thinking stuck in the past when it comes to EVs. So I remember the first couple iterations when they were first coming out. I mean, my God, they just could not compete with an internal combustion engine in terms of comfort, performance, reliability. I mean, anything. And so I think a lot of people's heads are sort of still stuck in that mentality a little bit. If you haven't had yeah. the opportunity to, you know, be in one or if, you're, if your friend or your neighbor doesn't really have one, there's not a whole lot of exposure to it. And the second is a lot of people haven't even considered it yet because it still kind of seems like a, in the future, this will be an option. I think Tesla's done a lot in the way of making it a little bit sexier, making it a little bit more appealing. And then that forces people to look at other electric models, too. I'm going to say the number one concern is perhaps the very first ones were so new that people are going to say, I'm not going to be the guinea pig to some manufacturer. Because one of the big things that I could see from my perspective is the battery charge life wasn't long enough. So this creates, uh, and I forget the term the guy used, but I read this in a road track or some magazine, which was excellent. You cr it creates an anxiety around how long your car will go on a charge. He had a really funny term. I can't think of it now. But I mean, it's bad enough when you look down at your gas gauge and you're getting low. But you know there's a gas station in the next intersection or within the next 10 or 15 miles. But if you got an electric car, <laughs> you got this anxiety about how long the battery is going to last. And of course, the very initial ones, they didn't last long. You had to set your whole trips around where you could find a place to charge. And so there was a new anxiety, you know. The quality of this little car we have right now is amazing. I'm really impressed with it. There's no introductory price. I mean, these cars are replaced. I think one we've got is close to 50000 bucks to buy new. So they don't give these things away. I mean, there's, a, there's incentives to buy them and stuff like that. I think there's a bit of a, a, the anxiety of the charge, the length of the battery, and the unknown with regards to the technology. I do believe that these cars are here to stay, and they're going to be here a long time. And I think we're only going to see, just like TVs, they're only going to improve. I mean, we had a plasma TV years ago, and now we got whatever, LEDs and all these things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know what, Peter? Technology is amazing. And everything that they're building today will be obsolete in two years. I mean, a battery, I, I foresee the batteries last for, uh, you know, uh, six, 600 kilometers, uh, maybe 800 kilometers in the future. Yeah. Now, another thing that I think people still have some trepidation around that you just touched on 
is availability of charging stations as well. Now, we were talking a little bit off air. You actually installed an EV charger at your shop. Well, we actually we actually have three chargers. We have one for our own car. The car comes with a 110 charger, which takes really a full 24 hours to charge, maybe even longer. We put type twos in. We have one for our own bolts, and then we have two that for the consumer. And there's a couple of reasons we did that. The the obvious thing is our studies show there's about 200 EVs in this town or our town. So that, that's potentially 200 customers. But more importantly, you can bring your car and we can charge it for you while you shop in town, but we can also service your car. So it, I'm introducing my staff to the EV and I'm, I'm trying to introduce the EV owner to my shop by utilizing these two chargers. Just as important, it also provides people with an EV that are from out of town to come into town. And I'm in the BIA, which is the business improvement area. I foresee maybe a little business coming to my uh, to my neighbors. And that's all good too, because we all work together in our little town. And uh, I want to be part of that community spirited type business. And uh, so there's lots of reasons for it. But our objective is just to learn a little bit more about electric cars and get it out there that we are going to be able to service these cars and they do need service. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really well said. My next question was going to be offering other shop owners advice, pros and cons of installing EV chargers. But I think you answered that one pretty well. I mean, the pros, Peter, increase future sales, public awareness. I mean, the fact that you do it, the the cons are you are now dedicating two parking spots because you're not allowed to park. You're not supposed to park a non-EV car in an EV charging spot. There's In our town, there's a bylaw against that. And the other thing is, from a total business perspective, the return on the investment is—it's—it's uh, it's meager. I don't, you know, you're not—you're not, you're not going to pay for this thing by charging. You're going to pay for it by getting some business in the door. How you want to put that through your business is entirely up to you. I'm going to tell you what we did. We put this whole thing through our marketing budget. We uh, we have a marketing budget every year, and the, the entire car charging system, the body wrap on the car, the whole deal is all put through our marketing budget. And that's not a bad way to look at it either, because, I mean, technically it is charging. You also get seen as a shop right off the bat as someone who can handle EVs, someone who's familiar with them. So it kind of brings in a new class of customer. In 1984, when we started, I said, I don't care about 10-year-old cars. I want to know how to fix the cars that are rolling off the production line, because that was the introduction to the feedback carburetor. And then that parlayed into fuel injection. And it wasn't long before we had distributorless ignition and computer-controlled coils and Oh, my goodness. But that's what I said to my boys then in 84. Let's fix the cars that are rolling off the production line. I don't really care about 10-year-old cars. So it's the same concept. You know what? These little electric cars, they're, they're firing them out every day. They're building them. Let's learn how to, let's learn how to fix them. And if we're going to learn how to fix them, we better know how to charge them up, too. So Now, there's one more question I want to kind of dive into before I let you go. One of our magazines, Jobber News, is actually celebrating its 90th anniversary uh, this month. So I spent a lot of time preparing for the issue, sort of looking back, reading some of the old articles, looking at the old ads, and sort of getting myself transported back in time a little bit, if you will. So as somebody who's been in the industry, I mean, 45 years, what are one or two things that you look back upon kind of nostalgically? I don't want to, I don't want to step on any toes. For many, many, many years, the manufacturer of all these promotions, when a win a hat or a, a t-shirt or buy X amount of project or keep our belt tabs and this and that and the technicians win. It, and it was all just a lot of smoke and mirrors. What I really have to appreciate now is how they, uh, how they've all got away and, and they're, they are, they've really 
evolved into treating us better with labor uh, components to their parts warranties. And, and a lot of good things have happened. But I think some of the things that used to make me chuckle about the past is just because it's funny, not just the car has changed, but even the way we do business has changed. And the manufacturers had to pick up the pace too. So it was pretty archaic in the older days when I think about it. But the part, the parts business was a lot different then too. I mean, you know what, Peter, we used to, I used to, keep like probably 30 different part numbers for just spark plugs alone we don't even we don't stock <laughs> spark plugs we don't even hardly sell them anymore you know what i mean we used yeah. to keep ball joints in stock because every car needed them i mean it's just it's really come a long way i think the manufacturers it, it's a new era and i think there's they're on board i can see it happening it's great obviously being in this business bruce you know, we all love cars what's your all-time favorite vehicle I don't know why, but I, I, I don't really wander into European cars. Like I'm not a Ferrari kind of guy. I'm not. I we service lots of Porsches and stuff, and I and I drive them, and I and Mercedes Benz. I got to admit, I enjoy the car, but I'm not. I I still am kind of a a big kind of V8 kind of guy. I got to tell you, I love old school American muscle, and so I. I like all the all the new Camaros. I like the new Mustangs. I really like some of the Chryslers, these Hellcats and all that. Like, like if I could have one for a day just to do burnouts, it'd be fun. I own a 2005 Chevrolet SSR with LT2 Corvette engine or whatever, 400 horse. And it's only got 30,000 K. It doesn't really go anywhere. It is a spectacular automobile from the perspective. It's just, it's just what you said. It's just good old American V8. And you know what? I mean, it doesn't handle like a Maserati or a Ferrari, but when you give it the gas, it just barks. You know what I mean? There's that V8 bark. So I'd have to say almost any North American V8 muscle car will make me happy. This has been another episode of Auto Service World Conversations with your host, Peter Bowler. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. And thank you, as always, to SiriusXM Canada for being our title sponsor.